I can kick it off too. This is this song is called Mercy Walked In. We have a little CD floating around somewhere around here that we all did as a congregation. Many of us who do songs, and it's been a little while since I've done it, so I thought I would do it this morning. Mercy Walked In. If you know it, sing along with us in the chorus at least. I stood in the courtroom. The judge turned my way. It looks like you're guilty. Now what do you say? I spoke up, Your Honor. I have no defense. But that's when mercy walked in. Mercy walked in and pleaded my case and called to the stand God's saving grace. Blood was presented that covered my sins forgiven when mercy walked in I stood there and wondered Lord how could this be that someone so guilty had just been set free my chains they were broken and I was declared born again the moment that mercy walked in oh mercy walked in and pleaded Mercy walked in. Yes, the blood was presented that covered my sin. I'm forgiven when mercy walked in. Ooh. Amen. Why don't y'all stand up with me one more time? Now you know that, you know about the Lord's mercy. And on that authority, the authority of his word, we can stand. Let's sing on the authority. We can get that up on the board. There we go. So many years I've cried because my soul denied that he would save a wretch like me. So full of gloom and dread that I hung my head. I wouldn't claim the victory Then one day his love like a wing dove Settled down upon my life 
beside his throne why he guarantees with the sealed decree my inheritance by right i'm his favorite child and that makes me smile i'm the center of his delight y'all sing with me the authority of the holy word i rise up Okay, you all can be seated. Are you going to be able to be seated after that? You might still be tapping and, and, and jumping and going. All righty, we're going to have teaching of the Lord's Word. second they'll get there okay <clears throat> could I ask you to stand one more time so we can sing together let's call upon the Lord and ask his blessing book of Ephesians where our text is found. It's not the passage I read earlier, but that passage refers to it. In the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, I'd like for us to begin reading in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies, in Christ. 
according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, through which he hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Let us pray. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, we do want to thank you and bless you and adore you today for your grace, for your mercy to us. As we consider all that you have planned, all that you have wrought, all that you have completed on our behalf, what you are doing for us even now and what you shall do for us, we know that it is as certain to be done as you have spoken it. We ask that you would be pleased to meet with us again. We ask that you would be pleased to honor the teaching of your word today, that you bless it to our hearts. Enable us at this time, we ask to focus our attentions upon you that we might set aside the cares and the worries of this life and that uh, for a few moments we might indeed have our attention, our affection stayed upon thee. That we might sing and that we might speak a word of praise unto thy glory. For we ask it in Christ's name and for his sake we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> The, um, the first verse of that hymn, of the very first hymn we sang that uh, Brother Josh led us in, really spoke to my heart. And I hope that uh, you paid attention to what you were singing. As he said, brethren, will you pray while I try to teach the word? I'm not competent for this task but it's fallen my lot to be here today, and I trust that the Lord will speak and use what I feebly deliver to speak to your hearts, that you might be strengthened and edified thereby. I want us to consider in the passage we just read, especially verses 6 and 7, but especially one verse, or part of the verse of verse 6, that small portion that says, to the praise of his glory, of his grace. As I was considering what I should teach, I was reading through different places, and I had that particular verse marked, and I had that portion underlined. And if you look at the chapter, you'll find that that phrase is repeated three times in the first chapter. Here in the passage we're going to consider, to the praise of the glory of his grace. And I think you'll find that this is talking about the praise of the glory of the grace that God the Father has bestowed upon us. In verse 12, you'll find that Paul says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. And I think you'll find that that one is speaking of the work that the Son, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has done for us. 
And then just a couple of verses down, verse 14, it's repeated, unto the praise of His glory. And I think there he's speaking of the Holy Spirit, who is indeed the seal, the earnest of our inheritance of our salvation. You see, the thing of salvation, this thing that we call salvation, this great work of God, is of such magnitude that it takes all of God to accomplish it for us. It takes the working of the Father, the working of the Son, and the working of the Spirit to bring to pass the salvation of a sinner. And if we consider this phrase in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace, I want us to look at it from this light. The meaning of this phrase, I think, is at least that the doctrine of election, that doctrine of election and predestination that pastor has been presenting to us from the book of 1 Thessalonians. He's telling us that these things should lay the foundation of adoring gratitude and praise and not be found in opposition to tyranny or the severity of God. That's not what these things are teaching. When we speak of the electing love of God, when we speak of the uh, predestination, as he speaks here in verse 5, of his people, of us unto the adoptions, this is all for our good. These are things that should move us to praise. As a matter of fact, one old commentator, Mr. Ellicott, said this about this verse. He said, He is pleased to consider his glory best realized in the spectacle of souls redeemed and regenerate by his grace. This is how God would show us his greatness, his glory. Do you remember in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, Moses made a request of God in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 18 and in verse 19 we read these words and he said, this is Moses speaking, he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, that is God speaking to him, I will make all my goodness pass before thee and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. What then is the glory of God but His goodness, His loving kindness, His long-suffering, His being gracious to whom He would be gracious and to show mercy to whom He would show mercy? Let us consider the words and the language used in this verse. I'm not going to try to bog down or bore you with a bunch of Greek words and syntax and that, but I do think that it's important for us to understand that the Greek language is an exact language. And the choice of words is, of course, however we read it, in the, whether it's from the Hebrew text of the Old Testament or the 
Greek text of the New Testament, whatever is recorded in the original documents, it was inspired of God. He had a reason for moving these men, these holy men of old, to record what they recorded using the words which they used in recording his message. And here, when we read the phrase, to the praise, that little three-word phrase is in the accusative case, if I can tell you that, which usually indicates with a view towards something. In other words, what he is telling us God has done in these verses 3, 4, and 5, he has done it with a view toward what follows, which is the praise of the glory of his grace. So that all of the work of redemption is done with a view to the praise of the glory of his grace. Now this is, we sing songs about the amazing grace, uh, the the glorious grace of God, but this is not just talking about glorious grace. This is telling us, uh, as we're going to find out, this speaks of the whole of redemption. This word glory, to the praise of the glory, this is the word for honor, a word that shows splendor, the splendor of the one who has acted, this splendor, the honor, the glory of his actions. We find that it expresses the great value that is placed on an object. If you glory in something or glory in someone, that means you place great value upon that object. If we glory in God, we highly esteem the one who we call God. And we find that it also uses the word grace, to the praise of the glory of his grace. That's a charitable act, a generous gift, an act of free favor. But as we said in this particular text, when he speaks here of grace, he's not just talking about unmerited favor. That's how usually grace is defined. But it's more than that. More than just favor, it is the sum total of all of salvation. That's what we read in the second chapter. We are saved by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. Mr. E. W. Bullinger said this about this word. He said, it is a free act which is no more hindered by our sin than it is conditioned upon our works. We're saved by grace. The grace of God is of such magnitude that it's not hindered by sin, nor is it accompanied by works. So we find that we are to, to, to praise the glory of God's grace. I had one commentator that said this, by giving of the law, God's justice and holiness were rendered most glorious. And by the giving of the gospel, his grace and mercy are made equally conspicuous. In other words, the gospel 
shines light and honors the grace and mercy of God. When we realize the work of redemption began in eternity, he tells us here that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. If the work of redemption began in eternity before the world was created, if it was grace that was at work then, it is that same grace which is now working out all things together for the good of those who love God. Because it was that grace that purposed all those things that are happening in our life. You see, the grace of God is no small thing, but is something that is grand and glorious. It's no wonder that we sing songs such as Amazing Grace, for it is amazing. The glorious grace, uh, marvelous grace, grace that is greater than all our sin, Marvelous, infinite, wonderful grace. This is indeed a gift of God. And we find that uh, Mr. Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, you've heard of him. He made this statement. He said, when all of the chosen ones shall be gathered together and the church of God in heaven shall be perfect, then across the edifice Shall this inscription be written in letters of light to the praise of the glory of his grace? That's what salvation is all about. Every facet of the works of redemption are to the praise of his glory. What he has done, he has done, we benefit from it, and bless God we do, but it wasn't done just for us. It was done for himself. It was for his sake. For his name's sake, he shows us mercy. And so this is, if this is true of the whole of salvation, that all of salvation, all of redemption, works to the glory of our God, then it's also true of each particular facet of that redemption. For example... It was a custom in the eastern uh, part of the world when they would, uh, a monarch would build some great building to his, you know, uh, to honor him. Not only would that building as a whole be to honor him, but on each stone that was used in that, he would have his uh, royal crest stamped so that each part, each stone, would signify that this was indeed to the honor of the one who built it. Well, guess what? We are lively stones in the edifice of God's temple. And as lively stones, we each individual bear the crest of our God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us a new name. We're no longer our own. We have been bought with a price. And we are in all things to seek to glorify our God. 
if we were talking about the, if, the, if the whole edifice is to the glory of God, consider just in the text that we read. There's more to uh, the study of soteriology. I mean, some, as they go through the uh, Ordo Salutis, will have different arrangements of, you know, how things, a logical order of how things happen. But we're going to just consider what's recorded in these verses, all right? So bear with me. Don't be too critical if my following here doesn't follow your order of soteriology, all right? Notice, first thing he says, that we are to bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. How many blessings does that leave for you to work out on your own? None. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Peter, in his little book, he says it a little differently. Turn over to 2 Peter, if you would. Second Peter chapter 1, if you can find Hebrews, that's about the biggest book, and then there's James, and then there's 1 Peter and 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, he says in verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I don't know if you've ever noticed it or not. This is an aside. It doesn't matter if it's Paul or Peter, but the writers of the New Testament, when they start their books, it's a general practice that they'll start with a salutation. And it's always grace and then peace. The grace comes first. Notice that when you read. The grace of God always comes first because it is the grace of God that brings peace, gives us peace. We talk about uh, grace and mercy. It's been said that mercy is when we don't receive what we deserve. That's what Joshua was singing about. Mercy stepped in and we didn't receive the punishment that we deserve. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. The righteousness of Christ. The forgiveness of sin. The acceptance with God in the beloved. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. You see what Peter says there? Paul said that God has given us, blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ. And what does that mean? Well, Peter says that by his divine power, he has given us all things that pertain unto life. That's how we conduct ourselves right here. That's how we live day by day. He gives us the breath that we breathe. He gives us the ability to rise up in the morning to go through the day. He gives us the uh, strength, the ability to do the work that he has for us to do. All things that pertain to life come from him. But not only physical life, but all things that pertain unto godliness, our spiritual life. 
If there is any growth in our life, if we are indeed growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's not anything we've done. It's because he has done it. He has blessed us with that grace, with those blessings, because he has, as Paul tells us in the book of Romans, he has predetermined, he has predestined that we be conformed to the image of his son. The father so loves the son that he wants all of his children to look just like his son. And so he's conforming us to be like Christ. So he, we find that we have all spiritual blessings in Christ. That's one thing. Uh, consider the election. Verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him. It's not an arbitrary thing. But we are chosen in Christ Jesus. And that was before the foundation of the world. You remember reading, uh, we're in the book of Romans in chapter 9, where it speaks of the twins, two sons that were in the womb of Rebecca. It said that while they were in the womb, God had made a choice between those two boys to the purpose because they had done neither good nor evil. They hadn't even been born yet. They hadn't done anything. But that his purpose according to election might stand. As we've said earlier, it's not depending on us in any way. It's all according, well, it says it right here. In verse 5, the last phrase, according to the good pleasure of his will. You want to know why God chose to show you grace and mercy? Because it pleased him to do so. That's it. If you are a recipient of the grace of God and salvation, it's because God was pleased to select you to reveal unto you a knowledge of himself a knowledge of who you are, to grant you faith to believe on the person of his son, Jesus Christ, to the saving of your soul. It's all of him. So election is not something that we should, you know, be angry about, thinking, oh, God's a tyrant. He chose this one. He didn't choose this one. Be thankful uh, I think it was Mr. Spurgeon that used the example of a, a couple that went into an orphanage. And then when they went in, of course, they had all the children, you know, dressed up to present them to the couple that wanted to adopt a child. And when they left, they did. They adopted a little boy. Now, was it unfair to those other children that this one little boy was adopted? Some would say yes. But for that little boy, that was an act of love and compassion. They didn't have to select any of them. But they chose to adopt this little boy. There's, 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 no, there's no blame to be given to God to be laid at his feet for any soul going to hell. Do you know why there is a hell? It's because 
mankind because people have refused to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing that will not be forgiven is unbelief. If you refuse to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, you cannot be saved because he is salvation, the only way to salvation. The election of God tells us that we are chosen in him, and as we've said, this is to move us to praise him for his glory, for his grace. We see here that he has predestinated us unto the adoption of children. Verse 5. What manner of love, John says, has been manifest to us that we should be called the children of God. First John. When you think of, of the magnitude of the person we call God, one who has created all things, the one who sustains all things, the one who has the ability, the power to, to do as he pleases. For him to call sinners such as us, to call us his children, what a blessed thought. How great is that grace? How great is that love that he would give his own son, his only son, the one whom he had loved throughout eternity, that he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up, that we, you and I, those who believe on him, should be called children of God. That he had predestinated it. He had chosen it to be so. Another thing we find, what has God done? Well, he's given us pardon. He's given us justification to the praise of, his, uh, of the glory of his grace through which he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Now everything that he has done, everything that's recorded in this chapter, has that little phrase, doesn't it? In him, in Christ. That's who he's speaking of. He's chosen us in him, and who is the him? It's Christ. He has predestinated us by Jesus Christ. He has made us accepted in the beloved. Who's the beloved? Jesus Christ. It all has to do with Christ. It all brings us back that our election, our regeneration, our sanctification, our glorification, all of those things that Paul mentions back in the book of Romans chapter 8 that they call the golden chain of salvation. He calls us, justifies us, he uh, sanctifies us, he glorifies us all in Christ and because of who he is and what he has accomplished for us. All that is included in salvation glorifies the grace of God. That's what Paul is telling us here. All that he has done is to the praise, we are to praise, we are to adore, we are to give uh, worship to him for the glory, for the magnitude, for the splendor of the grace by which we are saved. 
whether it's election, redemption, effectual calling, pardon, justification, sanctification, glorification, whatever it might be, all of it, each part speaks volumes of the glory of His grace. You can take any one of those and you can spend time studying them out. But all of them are made known for one purpose, that we might glorify Him in His grace. The peculiar glories of His grace ought to be pointed out and to be pondered. You see, His grace, some have said it's kind of redundant to call it that, but it is a sovereign grace. He's not obligated to be gracious to anybody, but He is gracious. It's a sovereign grace. It's given according to the good pleasure of His will. Not only is it sovereign, but it's free. By its very nature, it must be so. If it's grace, if it's mercy, then it cannot be bought, cannot be deserved, cannot be merited, must be freely given. Justified freely by His grace. And as pastor has taught us, that word freely there means without a cause. There is no cause in us that God should justify or redeem us. This grace of God is is full. Full in that it provides everything we have need of. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. It is unfailing. It is a work of God and therefore cannot fail. God's gifts are without repentance. He's not going to... It's not going to offer you life today, uh, regenerate you today so that tomorrow you can commit some act of sin and say, okay, that's it, I'm done with you, you're lost. That's not, that's not the way God works. And I, uh, I really feel sorry for those who teach that, that we can be saved and then lost. Because you really have no hope that way. You have no assurance of anything. With the, some of the other religions of the world, you realize that none of them have a Savior but Christianity. Any of them you want to name, they offer no Savior except Christianity. It's all dependent upon you. And you never know from the time that you decide to believe upon one of those deities till the time that you have died and go out to meet that individual whether or not you've done enough to be accepted with that God. What a way to live. Our God's not that way. Our God is one of, he has shown you mercy. If he has extended grace to you, if he has saved you, then you're saved. He doesn't give temporary life, he gives eternal life. It's unfailing. That's the reason why when we read, again, as we may mention of the golden chain there in Romans uh, chapter 8, when it speaks of us being glorified, we haven't been glorified yet experientially, but it's spoken of in the past tense because it's just as certain to happen as our justification when Christ died. It's going to, it's going to come to pass. It's an unfailing grace. It's a perfect grace. You consider that God is a perfect being. 
He is perfect in all of his attributes. There's, there's, uh, because of, because we're human beings, I suppose, in trying to express things, sometimes we'll use things, you know, like, well, that's the most perfect example. You know, there's no such thing as most perfect. If something is perfect, it's perfect. If it's not perfect, then it's less than perfect, all right? So God is a perfect being, and he is perfect in all of his attributes. And uh, this, when we sing praises to one of his attributes, we're singing praises to the whole being of God, because you can't separate them. He is just as much holiness as he is gracious. He is just as much love as uh, what's a good one? I don't know. But you understand what I'm saying. He's perfect in each one of them. And so we have that God has revealed himself. We know that he is a holy God, but he is pleased to reveal that part of his person that is to be praised for glory through his act of grace. The grace that is bestowed upon believers exemplifies the quality of the attribute of grace, showing forth the glorious riches of our God. All that God has done and all that he has intended concerning man has no end but this, that we might glorify him. It is our purpose in life and in all that we do to yield to God all the glory. And so he says, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. We want to praise, to sing praise, to give praise, and to glorify God for his grace that he has manifest toward us in Christ. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you again for this portion of scripture. And we do ask, O oh God, that you would be pleased to take it. Let it not be just the voice of a man that your people have heard today, but it might indeed be the voice of God speaking through the word, that your people might be strengthened, that we might be built up after the inner man that we might go forth singing praises to the glory of your grace. For apart from you and apart from that grace shown to us in Christ, we are lost and have no hope. We ask that you would be with those who have been mentioned for prayer requests, those that are sick, those who will have uh, surgeries coming up, we ask that you would be with each one as you are the great physician, that your hand would be upon each one to preserve, to heal, and uh, again, to be gracious. Be with us as we part to go our separate ways and keep us by your power and by your spirit as we ask it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. All right, if you would, let's be dis- stand
be dismissed with a benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Through Christ our Lord, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen.